Hey, community of faith, I know it's been a crazy time. You've been cooped up there for a while. I just want to tell you how much I love you. I want to tell you how special you are to me and to my family and to my mom. And you know how much my dad loved you. As Laura shared a few minutes ago, uh, my dad passed away on Saturday morning. And I had told you last week that we had called hospice and um, that God had really spoken something into my heart. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. What God spoke to me on the Friday night or on the Thursday night before the Friday that dad went down so quickly, he just had spoken into my heart. And I said, God, I don't even know what to pray for my dad right now because he's so miserable. He's, he's just not feeling good. I don't know. To, I want to pray for healing, but I don't want him to be here like this. And it's like God just spoke into my heart, like I shared with you last week, that um, just pray my will. When I taught you how to pray, when I gave you my prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, it was in the imperative, it was in the command form, be done, will of God, come, kingdom of God. And what God just really spoke into my heart is that if you'll just pray, come, kingdom of God upon my dad, if you'll just pray, be done, will of God. That's the best thing that could ever happen. And you know what? The most amazing thing, I prayed that on, uh, on Thursday night and on Friday morning, he woke up and he ate a full breakfast for the very first time in months and months. And then he talked about some of the family and then he just seemed to fade. But he was cognizant all day long. And all of the family, as we saw him more and more and more fading out, uh, they were all able to come. All of the kids were able to come and say, I love you, Daddy. And, and he was able to mouth back to them, I love you. Uh, all the grandkids, and that's a lot of either FaceTiming in or uh, coming there face to face. They sang around him in a, in a big circle, some of the grandkids, and he just was smiling as they did that. Um, there was a time in there when I, I, no one else was there, so I started singing some of his favorite songs to him. And I ran out after a couple of songs that I could remember. And I said, I can't really remember another song, Dad. Do you want me to, to, to sing some more? And he was there quiet, and he said, no, please. So uh, I won't sing them to you either uh, today. But, you know, I, he, he kept his sense of humor the whole time. I know um, when my brother got there, he, he had expected him a little bit earlier. And so right before he got there, since it was about an hour later than he expected, he said, be sure and tell Carrie that the, the funeral's two hours earlier than it really is, you know. And so he was, all, he was, he was himself all the way through that day. And then on uh, Friday night, as everyone else left, I got to stay there with him and my mom through the night and uh, you know he wasn't doing very well he started that ragged breathing but I was able to swab out his mouth and keep him comfortable and it was a really sweet and precious time and I could tell that he was there that he knew I was there and that because we were there together uh, that he felt comforted and he but he stayed alive all night and into the next day till Carrie Brent my brother uh, Laura um, Mana, my sister, everybody got to be back. And then the hospice nurse came in and he breathed twice and passed. And I just thought, God, you did like a miracle here. I, he didn't have any pain all night. He slept through the night. It was like the first time he had slept through a night in probably three months because he had just been having so much trouble, even with his breathing. 
So God just did this amazing thing. But one thing that dad always wanted to do, he, he, he just told me, he said, I've got one more sermon to preach for community of faith. And I am so determined to do it. That's why he was trying to get better so he could get better for you. He told me, he said, I guess God didn't have me, didn't want me to do that. But here's the thing. I think God did. Uh, his sermon that he preached when he turned 80 for us is a really special, special sermon. And I think I would like for you to hear it again today because I think it applies where we are right now. He talks about how we have to have something to, to hold on to and really even more than that, something that holds us if we're going to make it through the toughest times. And so I want you to hear this message that dad preached four years ago, but I think it still applies just as much because it's God's word and God's word is always applicable. And I want you just to get a feel for this. This is dad's last sermon to you, community of faith. Well, thank you, Mark. He asked me to share with you the things I've learned in 80 years. That could either be the longest sermon or the shortest one. But my wife always has this philosophy, and she tells me this almost every time I preach. She said, remember, stand up, speak up, and shut up, and you'll do really good. So most people have never been bothered by a short sermon. But anyway, I just want to open my heart to you today. This week has been my 80th birthday. I've had a lot of fun. They had a surprise birthday party for me. And I uh, got uh, some, a lot of friends and relatives dropped in, and it was great. One of the gifts I got was uh, a little 1935. That's the year I was born. Remember what happened in 1935? I'm sure most of you do. But uh, I don't even remember because I was just born in October, near the end of the year. But we live in a different world today than the world in which I was born. We live in a different America than the America into which I was born. It was shortly before World War II. And in this little book, it just points out some of the things that were going on at the time. Remember, this was a world with no TV, no cell phones, no computers, and even our regular phones. I remember in the little town where we lived, we were on a party line. Oh, most of you don't even know what that is. That means like eight or, eight or ten phones were on this line, and if you picked up the phone, somebody else might be talking. And you could just listen in to neighbor Joe talking to somebody, and uh, it was really interesting. You had to call Central, which was the main location, to get, a, to get out to get another number, and they would, they would get the number and return it to you. So it was, a, it was a lot different back then. In fact, some of the things that were different were the prices. Did you know you could buy a new car in 1935 for $625? A new car. You could buy a new house for $3,400. The average income was $1,625 in 1935. And gas was 10 cents a gallon, and bread was 8 cents a loaf. A movie ticket was 25 cents. A stamp was 3 cents. You could go to Harvard. Your tuition for a year at Harvard was $420. Wow. It's, it's amazing all the things that have changed since then, and a lot of them good and a lot of them bad, but life moves on. In fact, if I had realized that being 80 was so much fun, I would have done it earlier because it's been exciting this week as I've turned 80. But I wanted to just share with you some of the things that have meant a lot to me. I, 
I noticed in Philippians chapter 3, Paul said something that, that sort of, I thought, pictured me. That I'm not like Paul. I don't anywhere close to measure up to him. I'm not saying that. But I, I just wanted to share this, and it's going to be on the screen. It's from the Message Bible. Listen to what Paul said, and some of this is what kind of what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me, Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus, and I'm not turning back. There are two ways you can look at truth. One is you can believe it, or you can let it become a conviction. Now, if you believe something, it's what you hold as your belief. But if you have a conviction, a conviction holds you. You see, the difference is you can change your beliefs, but if you have a conviction, it's as deep as it can be in your life. You're not going to change a conviction because it's real, it's dynamic, and these are some of my convictions. Number one, if you have your sermon notes, you might want to follow along. I have learned how much I don't know, so I must keep learning. You see, the older I am, I, I was so much smarter at 18 than I am today. I knew so much more at 30 than I do today. But you learn over the years as you see the vast amounts of God's world that you don't know about. And as you dig into Scripture so much of God's truth that there is yet so much more to fathom. There's so much more to bring into your life. And to the day I die, I want to be open. I want to be receptive. I want to be a learner. That's what a disciple of Christ is. I want to be teachable. That should be our goal as a child of God. You know the most dangerous person in the world? It's the person who doesn't know what he doesn't know. You see, if you know what you don't know, you can learn it. But if you don't know you don't know it, then you can't learn it. And so many of us get caught up in that thing of trying to act, act like or live like we know all these things, and we don't know that we don't know. And that's dangerous in our living. And one of the things that excites me is that I can learn every day. In fact, this morning, God gave me a promise. And it was sort of a promise I guess I needed for today as I was sharing this message with you. And I just want to read it to you. It's in Psalm 92. My wife and I were just reading our verses that we read each day, and we're reading through the Psalms in one of our studies right now. In Psalm 92, this is what it says, The godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare the Lord is just he is my rock. Well, that touched my heart today, brought tears to my eyes. God promised me even in my old age, I could produce fruit. Even in my old age, I could be vital and green like the palm tree. You see, that's why Peter wrote when he was old and closing up his last letter, his last epistle in Second Peter, he said, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Secondly, I have learned that the Bible is absolutely true and totally reliable. I grew up believing the Bible. I went to college believing the Bible. But I, when I went to seminary, I attended a school that, to my surprise, 
many of the professors did not believe the Bible as I did. They believed some parts of the Bible. They discarded some parts of the Bible. They would pick and choose. They would say, oh, that's not right, or that wasn't what Jesus said, or that shouldn't be in there. And I got very confused after a few months. Is the Bible true? Is the Bible reliable? Is it really God's Word? And I wondered what I should do. And finally, I came to this place. Either I have to accept the Bible with all of my heart as God's divine Word to me, as his absolute truth of authority for my life, or else I have to reject it totally. I can't be a pick-and-chooser. I can't take this verse and that verse and decide that one's okay, that one's not. I'm not the authority. God's the authority. So if I do that, I become the authority. And so I remember as I got on my knees and prayed, and I said, God, with all of my heart, I accept your word. I believe it is true and I'm going to seek to live it and teach it and preach it. It was a life-changing moment for me, and it's been quite a ride since then, over these many years since, as I've preached the Word because I believe with all of my heart it's absolutely true and totally reliable. I believe with Paul in 2 Timothy, where he said, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I believe with the writer of Hebrews that the Word of God is alive and powerful. You see, I've seen the power of God's Word. As I've preached and taught God's Word, and I've shared God's Word, I've seen God change thousands of people's lives. I didn't do it. God's Spirit did it through His Word. Just last, the last couple of weeks, I've had four or five people who've just crossed my path, usually accidentally, and every, each one of them has said something about, you preached a sermon or you taught a lesson, and God changed my life. And I thought, that's the power of God's Word. I didn't do that. God did that. I remember coming out of Kroger, my wife and I, shopping for some groceries. We came out of Kroger, and this man runs behind us and says, Pastor Shook, Pastor Shook. And so I stop, and I, I, he looks vaguely familiar. And he's probably in his 40s, but I can't call his name. I remember where I knew him from. But he said about 20-something years ago, and he named the date, the month, the day, and the hour. He said, you preached this sermon, and that day I gave my life to Christ. And it's never, I've never been the same since. The power of God's Word. God's Word makes a difference. Believe it, read it, practice it, live it. Your life will be changed daily. He will give you promises like he gave me today as you open up God's Word and seek to let God's Word just penetrate every part of your being. Number three, I have learned that God is faithful even if I am not. I agree with Paul in 2 Timothy 2 where he says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. I'm so glad to stand before you and tell you today that after 80 years, my God is a faithful God. My God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The world changes, people change, things change, but God does not change because he's already perfect. He does not need to change. He is the unchangeable one. The writer of Hebrews says, everything in this universe will change, but he will remain the same. The Scripture also says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, I can count on him. My promises, I have not always kept to him. 
He has always kept his promises to me. The very first promise he kept was the promise when as a boy he convicted me by his spirit of my sins and I believed his word for he said if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ you will be saved, you will be forgiven, you will become my child. And that day, the best I knew with all that I was, I asked him to forgive me. I asked him to be my Lord and my Savior. And he, he kept his promise. He did just that, that day. And that was beginning of my pilgrimage with him. He keeps his promises. Many other promises he's kept. One special one I've probably, I've probably used thousands of times because I fail and I sin. And First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's righteous and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And how many times I've confessed, Lord, I don't know why I went that way. I don't know why I got out of, out, out of kilter with you. I don't know why I got off track. I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I did that. Please forgive me. Please, I confess to you, I agree with you. That was sin. And he does. He's faithful. He's righteous. He's just to forgive me. He's forgiven me so many times. The record book is full of his forgiving me. He also, as this, as this God who can be counted on, this God who is faithful, he keeps us safe in his hand. Jesus said, and it's recorded in John 10, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand or my Father's hand. Paul says we're hid with Christ in God. I want to tell you today, if you know Christ, you're safe. If you know Christ, you're secure, and you are in his hand, and you may sometimes veer off in the path a little bit, but you're still in his hand. You may sometimes have some doubts, but you're still in his hand. You may sometimes sin, and you're still in his hand, and he'll bring you back because you're in his hand. He's not going to let go of you. You may momentarily let go of him, but he'll never let go of you. You're his. He has claims on you. You're his child. He's faithful. But also, number four, I have learned that the Christian life is not difficult, but it is humanly impossible. I learned early as a believer, and especially as I began to preach the gospel and be a pastor, as I sought to really live for Christ, and I struggled and I worked hard with all that I was, and I gave every ounce of energy I could give and every commitment I could bring, it was not enough. And here's what I learned, what Paul learned. Paul describes his own dilemma in Romans 7. He said, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good as I want to do, but I do the evil that I do not want to do. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then later he says, it is God who works in me to give me the desire to do what's right and the power to do what's right. I discovered after some years of struggling as a Christian that Jesus Christ, when I trusted him through his Holy Spirit, came to reside inside of me. And that my body became the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus lives in me. And he doesn't just live in me so that I can say he lives in me. He lives in me so he can live out through me, so he can love through me, 
so he can minister to people through me, so he can preach through me, so he can be a good husband through me, so he can be a good father through me and a good grandfather and great-grandfather, so he can do the things through me that I will never be able to do on my own because he lives in me to live through me. He just wants me to be a suit of clothes that Jesus wears. And when that truth, that conviction became so deep in me from the Word of God, it changed my life forever. I have to relearn it. Because I take back over sometimes, and I try to live for him. I try to carry the whole load. But then when I just relax and let Jesus fill me with his spirit and guide me, it makes such a difference. I want to encourage you, if you're a believer, new believer, maybe you've been a believer for a while. I had been a believer for a number of years before this truth got hold of me that I could no more get the Christian life because I couldn't save myself, but I could no more live the Christian life than I could get it. That's exactly what Paul says in Galatians 5.25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, that is, we got life by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. But I've also learned that my faith must be lived out every day or it is worthless. Joshua, when he was nearing his death, stood before the people of Israel. They were now in the promised land, but all around them were people who worshiped false gods. And they were tempted by these false gods. And Joshua said to the people, you worship, you can worship these gods if you want to. Choose whom you will serve. But I want to tell you, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was, was saying, my faith has to be lived out. I've known so many believers who had a Sunday morning faith and a Monday morning faith. They had a Sunday morning faith where they came to church on Sunday morning and prayed and sang, but then on Monday at work, they were a totally different person. They didn't let God have his way. They didn't trust Jesus. They didn't talk like a believer. They didn't act like a believer. And you see, that's, that's not only fruitless, but it's, it's miserable. It's miserable. It's not a joyful life. It's not a happy life. What we see is what we get if we're really living for Christ. We need to be so vulnerable, so open, so transparent that people can see we really mean it. And that's one of the things I found I have to seek to be every day, is to be the same on Monday as I am on Sunday, to be the, safe, the same if I'm on the golf course or if I'm in the study, studying the Word or if I'm preaching. The same person because each day Jesus wants to fill me. My wife and I found this was so important with our kids growing up that they see that what I've taught, what I preached, what I said I believed was not just words mouthed, to people's ears, but that we lived it out in our home, that we shared it in our home, that we practiced it in our home. And we didn't perfectly. We failed a lot. But that was our goal. That was our ambition. That was our desire. But I've also learned, and this is one I have to relearn a lot, that contentment and joy have nothing to do with circumstances. Contentment and joy have nothing to do with circumstances. A man a lot greater than I'll ever be said this, Philippians 4, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. You, Paul, Paul had learned that joy and contentment are not related to outside circumstances. They come from the inside out as we allow Jesus Christ to guide our lives. That we can have a peace in the midst of turmoil. That we can have a joy that's not a hilarious laughter, but it is a joy 
of inner well-being and certainty of the serenity of his presence in the midst of hardship and difficulty and trials and that contentment is not based upon how much we have. You see, if you have to have one more thing that you don't have now to be content, you'll never be content. If you have to get a, a certain thing like a car, a house, or something for your house, or, or, or a relationship, and you have to have that, you think to be content, you won't ever be content if you get it all. Because contentment and joy don't come from outside circumstances, situations, and people. They come from the inside out as you let Jesus Christ guide and control your life. In some of our early years of our marriage, Jackie and I had little. We, we lived on a shoestring, so to speak. We just lived day to day, week to week, check to check, and barely made it. But it wasn't, it wasn't really that bad. It wasn't like life was hard and life was miserable. Life was fun and life was joyful. And we were experiencing our love for the Lord, our love for each other, then our love for our children. And we found out early in those days, we have a lot more now, but we realized that contentment and joy don't have anything to do with those things. And I have to relearn this through hard times and difficulties and the experiences of life. But I know Paul had learned it because he said in a prison cell, rejoice in the Lord always. He learned to do that, and it made a difference. One of the verses that Jackie and I quote all the time, every day, in fact, as we have our time of prayer and Bible study together, it's this, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Last night and this morning, as we prayed about the services, and as the weather was a problem, we just said, Lord, this is your day. If the sun shines, great. If the sun doesn't shine, great. If the crowd is big, great. If the crowd is small, great. But Lord, you are in charge. This is your day. We're going to rejoice, and we're going to be glad. And it's really exciting to see all of you here, and it makes me even rejoice more. But if you hadn't been here, I could still rejoice because my rejoicing has to be in the Lord. That's the only place. It really matters. You see, if what you have is not enough, what you give, what you get will not be enough. It has to be from within. Number seven, I have learned that praise and thanksgiving are essential to a life of fullness. I'm not an outward person. I don't have a, the kind of personality that <clears throat> just reaches out everywhere to people. That's not my nature. I'm more timid, more backward more introverted, and some of you don't know that, don't believe that probably, but it's true. And that's really my basic nature. But I've learned that I can let that nature take over, and I can become negative, and I can look with negative glasses on everything that comes into my life. And every day the Lord has to remind me, and he reminded me this morning in his word, as I was reading the Psalms and how they were rejoicing and praising God, that if I praise, my spirits lift. If I have the attitude of gratitude, my negative thoughts are removed. If I begin to praise God and to be thankful for what I have and what he's done in my life, it changes my whole outlook on life every day. 
My wife and I spend some time just thanking him. One of the things we do in our staff meeting every week is Mark leads us as a staff to spend time just thanking the Lord, just praising the Lord for who he is and what he's done. If you don't ever do that, you just take some time over the next few days. It doesn't have to be an hour. It could be five minutes. But spend a few minutes just look at what you have. You see, you can spend all your time looking at what you don't have. You can spend all your time thinking about how bad you feel or how difficult life is or what a problem this is, but you can focus on Jesus and what he's done and who he is and praise and thank him, and it will change everything in your life. The last one, I have learned that serving others, serving others is much better than living for self. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of God, who deserved all kind of service, the Son of God who was worthy of all praise and adoration and gifts, the Son of God when he came to planet Earth in an earth suit like ours, as a man, he came to serve. Do you remember that day the Scripture recounts? shortly before his death, when he took his disciples and he took a towel and he took a basin of water. And this is the God of heaven, got down on his knees and washed their dirty feet. A servant, Jesus served. He was a servant leader. He had power. He could command. He could direct. And he did. But he did it as a servant. He did it as someone who loved and cared. And I want to challenge you today to join me. I have to work on this. This is not my inclination, but I have to work on this to be a servant. And not that I want to lord it over anybody. It's just seeing the needs. Sometimes my eyes are blind to the needs around me. This week, concentrate every day on finding someone you can encourage, someone you can put your arm around, someone you can pat on the back, someone you can build up, someone you can give a word of, of strength to, someone you can serve, someone you can help, maybe someone who's lonely that you can visit, someone who's sick that you can go and see, someone who needs Christ that you can tell about him. Just think of the needs of others. What will happen is, and let me tell you a special something to do. If you have a special kind of need in your life, then look for somebody else who has that same need and love them and minister to them and care for them, and your need will be forgotten as you care about their need. As you begin to serve others, you will forget about your problems, and you will be lifted up into a dimension of godliness and a walk with the Lord that will make you a far better person. It's important that every day we realize, I serve the God of the universe. Nothing is too big for him. Nothing is too small for him. So many times I've had people say, well, I didn't pray about that. That was such an insignificant thing. Listen, pray about everything. I've prayed for balls that when I was playing with my kids got lost in the high grass, that God would show me where they were, and he did. We've prayed about little things we've lost around the house, and we found them. And you see, God cares about us. He loves us. Nothing is too small for him. You say, oh, well, God wouldn't care about that. He cares about that because he cares about you. And he's interested in the welfare of your life. He wants you to be full of joy and contentment, and he wants you to be a blessing to others. 
I have been blessed to be a blessing. You have been blessed to be a blessing. Our church has been blessed to be a blessing. And as we enter into this new building in just a few weeks, we're going to have an opportunity to touch hundreds and hundreds of new people if we have the vision to do so. If we care about others more than we care about ourselves. If we reach out in an unselfish way to invite others to come and to bring them with us and to tell them about the Christ who's changed our lives. I just say to you today, this is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. You say, what do I have to rejoice about? You're alive, aren't you? If you know Christ, you're a believer, aren't you? You're going to heaven, aren't you? You have this opportunity to worship, don't you? Rejoice about that and give him glory and give him praise and give him honor and let the world know that he lives inside of you. I want you just to close your eyes with me for a moment and bow your heads for just a minute, and let's pray. Let's just close our eyes to shut everybody else out, bow our heads to reverence God. And as we pray, here's what I want you to think about with me. What are my convictions? I have others that I didn't share with you today, many others. But what are some, not just the beliefs I hold, but the convictions that hold me, the things I could die for, the things that I would stand for no matter what. Think about it right now. And as you think about it, begin to build those kinds of things into your life. Ask God to help you to settle in on some deep convictions. And one is that you and I can share Christ with others wherever they are. Father, today, you know everybody here. You know their name. You know the number of hairs on our heads. You know everything about us and still love us. And that overwhelms us. But Father, I know you want to build into each of us some convictions that will hold us. That will hold us when the dark days come. That will hold us when the world and everything around us changes. That will hold us when death is at the door of our lives. And Father, today, I pray for those who have not yet received you, that they would open their hearts to you and let you become the Lord and Savior of their life and join this wonderful ride with us. And then, Lord, I pray for those of us who have, that we would renew our commitment to you today and let your spirit take full control so that we can glorify you in everything that we do. Thank you, Jesus, that you're our Lord. We praise you. We honor you. We glorify you today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Well, community of faith, Damon Shook loved you. He prayed for you every single day. And we're going to miss him a lot. I know that uh, we're going to carry on his legacy together. I want us to remember what he taught us today. And we, you know, as we're thinking about him, I thought of a, a song that he liked, that I like. And I, I, I kind of, I'm not going to sing it for you because I know dad wouldn't want that, you know. But uh, I, uh, I want to just say it to you. I changed up a little bit of the lyrics. But this is my dad to me. It's called Happy Man. When I die, there won't be much to salvage from my earnings. I never had a lot of land or houses to my name. I've never been a corporate prince on Madison and New York, but I held a Bible in my hand. And I've seen children laughing as only children can. And I've known my creator and I've been a happy man. I ne never really loved the way I saw it in the movies, but for 62 years, my Jackie, was my own. 
The life we lived was modest, and we served our Lord together. And my faithful God, he never let us down. And I've heard music playing that made me understand and touch the hearts of heaven, and I've been a happy man. Life has had its hard times when I felt the chill of winter. I can't forget the Christmas when my sweet mama slipped away. But growing old, it's different than I always thought it would be. The sweetness of my youth just grew with age because I've known wealth and beauty beneath his guiding hand and knowing soon I'll see him has made me a happy man and knowing soon I'll see him has made me a happy man. He's with Jesus face to face. I know we're stuck in our houses. We really, we should be envying him right now. So I want you just to thank the Lord for a life well lived. And I want us to follow in his legacy. Let's have a story like that as we change lives. We're gonna have a celebration service uh, whenever we can. It's gonna probably be two or three months from now. Uh, our family had a really, really sweet little graveside service uh, on Friday. The, uh, you know, with the coronavirus, they only let us have 10 people, but we talked them into having in shifts, you know, so we kind of came in and in different shifts and, and, and did that. And it was such a sweet time and FaceTime the grandkids in and everything. So thank you for your prayers for us. We love you, community of faith. You hang in there. Okay, we'll hang in there together. Keep praying for me. I'll keep praying for you. We'll see you next week.